Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for this text as we do all text. That you will speak to us. That you want to speak to us. Lord, I'm reminded that you said, He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You're calling out to us. And Lord, we choose to listen to you because we're here. We want to hear with our minds and our hearts. Lord, we want to be obedient to what you show us. So speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. Verses 13 through 16. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is vision. Oh, you hear many pastors give a, a vision, a vision of for this next year, what we're going to do. And that's quite common. That's quite worldly. In fact, football players, they cast a new vision in the upcoming season. You see the president come out with a, a new vision, a message, or a CEO uh, comes out with a, a new vision, a new direction they have. But God's vision is always the same. If you ever question what God's vision is, it's, it doesn't need to come from the pulpit. It should come from the pulpit every single week. It's in His Word. It is the Word of God. It is timeless. It does not change. It is His heart. It is His will. That's God's vision. When we look at the Bible, we see it begins in Genesis. We see the creation where we came from, the beginnings, beginnings of marriage, the beginning of sin, and the rest of the Bible is all about God redeeming man. And God desires to reach out into this community, but it begins when we know the very Word of God, the vision of God, the heart of God, and that means that we need to get into the Word. We need to be people of the Word. See, God's vision for the church is not new. It's a fact that for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And whosoever believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And the fact is, Jesus Christ said that He would build the church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. What is the church? Not this building. We are the church. And we need to be the church each and every day. And what the church does is congregate as we do now. And we go out and we evangelize. In certain circumstances, God will put us in a place that we can share. And sometimes the hearts are cold. Sometimes they're unreceptive and we need that discernment to know that these people don't want to hear and there's no need in arguing with them. I was sitting on an airplane coming home and, and, you know, I kind of cast little things out and, you know, oh yeah, we have some people in the church that work there or this or that and seeing the response, but the response was always cold. It was always negative. There was no open doors to talk. You could talk about anything else. So we just talk, we just love them. But in this world, we're looking for an open door. We're looking for those that God might speak to. 
And that's what we learn in the Word. We learn His heart. We learn His vision. We learn His will. And we're watching and believing that He will lead us and He will guide us. Well, look at our text together. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It begins, Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs this work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of our own countrymen, and even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath has come upon them the utmost. What you do with the Word of God determines what the Word of God will do in you. Think about that again. What you do with the Word of God determines what the Word of God will do in your life. If you put great emphasis upon the Word of God, if, if you see the Word of God as, as the Word of God, not the Word of men, and you, you value it. And when I mean value it, it means that you get in the Word, you read the Word, you meditate upon the Word. We're going to talk about that. Then it will change you and transform you it will make you into that image and likeness of Jesus Christ because what the Holy Spirit does is take the Word of God and work in the person of God. But if you do not value the Word of God, there will not be a changed life. There will be no evidence that you really believe in God and know Him in a personal, intimate way. See, as you come to know Him, as you come to grow in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, it will just come out of your life. It will come out in the Word, the fragrance that you bring in the room, the pleasing atmosphere, the honesty, the integrity. There's a difference about those who believe in the Word of God. For me, the Word of God changed my life. Can you say that in your own life? That God changed you and changed you radically? He heals marriages. He sets captives free. He opens the eyes of the blind. Those that are drunkards are no longer drunkards. Those that are drug addicts are no longer drug addicts. When I got saved, I met a man. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He was a heroin addict. He was in prison, and he had marks around his belly. It looked like a tattoo. And after he got saved, every one of those marks disappeared. He became a pastor. He went into the prisons. He reached out and led countless people to the Lord. He was an encourager. When you were around him, you were refreshed, you are challenged, and and you wanted to get in the Word. You wanted to ask questions. You wanted to talk. When he worked, he was a painter. Wish he was around. We could use a painter. But anyways, he was a painter. 
And he painted to the glory of God. Every job that he did, there was a signature of God because he did it for the glory of God and everyone knew he did it for the glory of God. See, there's a changed life. That's what the Word of God does. It, it becomes flesh in us and changes us. Well, Paul was such a man. Look with me on the screen. It says Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel, yet there are so many today that are ashamed of the gospel, ashamed to say that they're Christians. They're what's called closet Christians. You don't recognize any change about their life. They, they go to church on a Sunday morning or, or, or maybe a Bible study, but there's no change. The word is not rooted down in their life. But the person that's affected by, they're not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, they want to tell people about the gospel. And if they're not telling people about it, they're doing something even more important, living it out in their life. Because there are people around you that you can look at and say, they must know Jesus Christ. By the joy, by the lifestyle, by the language. And when you're going through those difficult times and you stop and ask them, how do you go through these difficult times? And they say, Jesus keeps me, sustains me. Anyone ever go through depression? Let me put my hand up, I do. You know, that's part of spiritual warfare, a lot of it. The enemy is going to attack you, and it's in that time that we need to learn to encourage ourselves in who Jesus Christ is, and it's when you and I get in the Word of God. Well, that's what our text talks about. It is in verse 13, the, the power of the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. Can you say that? But do you believe it? See, when you come to it and you open up the Word, and you get that word in you, it, it becomes alive in you. It just springs up. It empowers you to share the gospel, to give the boldness of Christ to someone else. See, notice what Paul wrote in describing the word of God. Two different words he uses, and I love these words. He used the word receive, which means really to hear something from another, to hear it with our ears. They received the word of God. And he also used the word again, accepted in verse 13. They accept it, which means to welcome it, to hear it with their hearts. We are to, with our minds engaged, to see it with our eyes, to hear it, but in our minds we engage, but it must take effect in our hearts. Within the body of Christ, so often there are those that profess a belief but do not possess that relationship in Jesus Christ. So the question is this, do you possess a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you're stumbling with that answer, get in the Word of God and say, God, if you are God, speak to me. Keep reading and wait and watch and you're going to hear him speak. Because God wants to speak to you. God wants to get your attention. But it means that we need to be 
quiet before Him. Be still and know that He is God. Again, when the Word of God was proclaimed, the Christians in Thessalonica not only heard it with their ears, think about that, but they heard it with their hearts. When you see a person that's on fire for the Lord. Now, I know we all have different personalities. I understand that. But there will be a fire burning in their hearts. That is, unless you quench it. And I think all of us have come to a point where at times we quench that fire. God's wanting us to do something. We say, no, no, Lord. We're just like Peter. But we need to open our minds, listen to him, and respond to him. You remember the disciples walking down the road to Emmaus after Jesus was raised from the grave, and he's walking with them, and veiled, and they didn't understand. But when Jesus, again, you remember the story, when he left them, and one of the disciples said, weren't our hearts burning inside? See, this is the place that God wants to bring you and me that our hearts are burning. And you say, well, my heart's never burned. You need to ask him. God, I want that fire that I first had when I was born again. Now let me ask you a question. Do you remember again when you were born again, that experience? Something happens in a person. Christ comes and lives in our heart by the Spirit of God. Amen, we can't get enough of Him. We can't pray enough. We we can't be in the Word enough. We can't help but tell people about Jesus. And then we quench that Spirit. We wonder where the fire went as we took the water hose and put it on there. But what we need to do is come back to the Word. See, when the Word was proclaimed, they they heard again with their ears, but also with their hearts. That is, they understood and appropriated it into their lives. They they took the Word of God and it became a part of them, as I use that term. The Word became flesh in them. And that's so important. That's how we are to walk through this life. That's what makes a difference in your life and my life as we go through this life. It's different, radically different. Well, we find written between these lines in our text that there's two basic, again, ideas or thoughts about the Word of God. Well, the first question we want to ask is what the Word of God is. Notice what Paul tells us about it about the Word of God. It's unique. It's not the Word of men. And I was sharing with someone on the mainland, and oh, it's it's just written by men, and they were just trying to blow it away and kind of laughing the whole time. And we were in a group, in a group where my mom was, and there were some that, uh, that really were sharp still in their mind, but yet they weren't sharp when the truth was given to them. And they would mock it, just as the Scripture would say. But it's not the Word of men. It's interesting, as we're going to talk about this in a second, but it was the Word of God. And that's what makes this book unique from all the other books in the world. It is the inspired Word of God. And when you read the Word of God, whether you read it on your phone, your iPad, or the Bible, you're hearing God speak to you. And as you learn to listen to the Lord, you will hear him. Maybe you won't hear him call out your name real loud. But you will know that he's speaking to you personally. I remember 
It scared the heck out of me. The first time I heard God's word spoken to me, I was reminded of it when I was on the mainland. I had just got saved. I couldn't have been saved more than two or three days, and they were teaching from the Gospel of John. And and the pastor says, Peter, feed my sheep. And and I was like looking at my Bible, and I look up because it, I could have swore I heard, Ron, feed my sheep. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. I had no idea what God was calling me to do. And just as God spoke to me, I believe that he wants to speak to each and every one of you in that same way. But it involves, again, that we hear with our ears and hear with our hearts and we assimilate this into our lives. We appropriate the Word of God. We take it and we hang on to it. We don't let go. We don't understand it. Again, let me read 2 Timothy it says all Scripture, should be on the screen there, 316, I'm sorry, 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. All Scripture, not some Scripture, all Scripture. And the Bible records lies. And sometimes you see a lie in the Bible because God wants to show that there are people that lie in this world. Don't have to be surprised, but he records those. And a lie is of the father of lies, Satan. And lies are not to be for Christians. But everything he says, he reveals the truth. He reveals the the shortcomings of, of Peter and John and Saul who called himself the chief of sinners, persecuting the church. But look at the life of each one of those. Radically changed. All for the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So the, the Bible's unique in its origin. It's the inspired Word of God through the Spirit of God. Now I want to make this point simple. It's not a, a teaching just exhaustive on this idea, the doctrine of inspiration or or being the inspired Word of God. But notice what Second Peter says, one twenty-one. No prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Holy Spirit moved through personalities, normal personalities, people just like you and me, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. He used the personality, the loud, boisterous one and the soft, quiet one. He moved to write the Scripture. The Bible is written over a period of time, roughly 1,600 years, by 40 different authors. One main thought about Jesus Christ. One universal message, the Gospel, The gospel was in the Old Testament. The gospel was in Genesis. The gospel is throughout the Bible. On every page of the Old Testament, you can find Jesus Christ. We call them shadows. We call them pictures. But what we have is the Holy Spirit directing people, moving people to write, using their personalities, that we end up with this Word of God that is inspired and written by God. 
This is what makes the Bible unique. No other book is inspired by God. No other book has been sold as much as the Bible itself. There's more Bible sold, and they're stacked up. In fact, in the back room, if you need a Bible, we have about 600 Bibles now that we're going to give out. The Word of God needs to be given away. And you have it, not piled up on a table, not piled up in a box. But when those Bibles go out, we will have more Bibles to give. And a Bible may sit in someone else's house and collect dust for years, and then one day, in in the middle of a crisis, they crack it open and read it, and God speaks to them because now they're ready to listen. At the right moment, God is prepared. I'm speaking about the, the Word of God. Let me read Psalm 19. Verses 7 through 9, the law of the Lord is perfect, notice, in restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring. The judgments of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. See, the Holy Spirit was inspiring the psalmist to write that, but the Holy Spirit was working in the life of that psalmist. Just as I had them give the words a few minutes ago, Jesus, Lord of Heaven, that 15-year-old boy, God was moving through him to write that song. And all we need to do is choose to be available today to the Lord and say, Lord, speak. Speak to me which will involve learning to listen to the Lord. Of all the published books in human history, the Bible survived them all. Survived abuse, the misuse, and still remains the best-selling book in the world. And yet, they're trying to get rid of it. And that's important to understand. Now, the Bible's unique in its content. The, the, the words that are contained in there, they can address every issue in your life. It's all you need for life and godliness. It's here. If you need help in your marriage, it is here. You need to be a good employee, it's here. If you have problems with the children, it's here. Everything that you need for life and godliness here, it tells you what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. It's here. And we need to come to the Word. It's unique in its origin. It's unique in its character because it's the Holy Spirit of God, not the Word of men. Unique in its content because it's all you need for life and godliness. It's not surprising that that Paul just simply declared, it's not the word of men, it's the word of God. And the people recognized it. And their lives were changed radically. Now there's a, a, a debate, and it's kind of in the background, but some say that Paul was only there three Sabbaths, three months. But this church was on fire for God. But later on, he'll go to again to Berea, and he says they're even more noble than the Thessalonians because he says they look to see if it was so every day. 
That means when you're waiting in the line at the bank, if God's been speaking to you, pull out your phone and look at it. You've got the resources at your fingertips like you've never had before. It means taking our minds and marinating it with the Word of God that it changes us. It transforms us. Well, notice what the Word of God does. I, I want to read from the Living Bible first. It's not on the screen, but let me read. In verse 13, it says, It changed your lives when you believed it. And that's what the Bible does. It, it changes your lives when you believe it. It changed my life as it changed your life, and it's given us a testimony. We're like the book of Acts, continually changing, being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the word, again, in the New American Standard uses for changes, performs. It performs its work in us. It's where we get our word energy from, energize from. The Word of God energizes our lives when you get into it. We have a, a, a CD that it's, it's a really good one, and it's, it's some reading of Scripture. It's some songs. It has some testimonies of people that have cancer, that have found comfort in this, and it's called the Comfort CD. And many people, when before they die, we've given it to them to listen, and they found great comfort in those words, that encouragement, or simple reading of the Word of God. The Word of God will comfort you when you listen with your ears and you listen with your hearts and realize that God is speaking to you. And that's so exciting because sometimes I could say, you know, I think the, the Bible is written just for me, selfishly. But it's written for each and every one of us. And we're to take it personal. Because when it was written, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus knew us before we were even born that you and I would hear the Word of God and be saved and one day go to be with Him. Like no other force on the earth, the Bible has the power to transform lives. Now, sadly, and this is, quote, see, I'm doing this, my opinion, okay? You don't need 12 steps. There are 12 steps that, that seem to help people put a Band-Aid on it. There's only one step anyone needs, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the step you need, and it's here in the Word of God, just giving up your life over to Him and learning to listen with your ears and your heart and He will change your life. It doesn't matter whether you're an alcoholic, a drug addict, or a heroin addict as I talked about. He will radically change your life. How many steps you need? One. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of your problems in this earth. It's interesting, though, like no other force on earth, the, the Bible has the power to transform lives uh, because it's the Word of God. But there's a question we've got to ask. Why don't we see more people transformed? Why don't we see the, the, the church on fire like the early church was? Because they hear with their ears, but not with their hearts. See, because... What they do with the Word of God, they take it and appropriate it and believe it and understand that God's speaking to them. 
And therefore, there's no change in their lives. If you're struggling today and, and you need a change in your life, you're struggling with some vice or some thoughts, bring it to Jesus. The Bible makes it clear. Cast your cares upon Him who cares. But you've got to be in the Word. You've got to know what the Word says. It's telling us that God, God cares for us and he, he wants us to bring it to Him and, and leave it at the altar. And I think all of us have, have gone and gave it to Him and, and we go back and take it back. Have you ever done that, anyone? Yeah. But he's saying, no, I want to take it away from you. You just have to believe and trust in me that I will sustain you and I will keep you and I'll be your strength. See, if we understand the Bible and then appropriate it into our lives, it's a choice we do make. It's a choice that will change our lives. Say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Not just words, but want that. Anyone ever lack faith? Anyone ever struggle with that? Am I the only one? Yeah, well, thank you. Okay, there's a few. Thou shall not lie. You know that. But anyways, I need to increase my faith. Sometimes we have small faith, little faith. I'm not going to ask who has little faith to hold their hands up. That's where we start. The faith the size of a mustard seed. The fact is, all we need to do is ask Him, increase our faith. Lord, I don't want to be in this situation anymore. Husbands, love your wives as church. Husbands, you ever have that problem? Don't hold your hands up. All you have to do is, all you have to do is, is say, Lord, help me love my wife as you love the church. And keep looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus, and he will begin to make those changes. Wives, believe all things and hope all things. It will happen when he goes to the Lord. It's important to understand that the word of God will transform our lives when we hear with our ears and hear with our hearts. It's a choice we make. But if we choose to ignore, then we remain in the same place, like a, a dog returning to his vomit. We never move forward. Angry all the time and bitter all the time. Maybe immoral thoughts in our mind. And the change is because we don't want to change. We, we talk about wanting to change. But we have to take the Scripture and say, Lord, this is not pleasing in your eyes. and I, I want to change. I want to be like you. I don't want to be hurtful anymore. I want my life to be a testimony. The Bible teaches that God doesn't want a dead sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice that we're living for Him. Lord, that's what I want my life to be, a living sacrifice. And when people see, that, not even before I even speak, they know that I'm a Christian. They know there's something different about me. We pray that. We ask that. He makes those changes in us. But if we ignore it, we just remain the same. To ignore it is, is to do nothing about our situation. We're really saying we're content and, and happy to be miserable in our life. And Jesus said he came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to have that abundant life. And I'm not talking about material possession, a peace, a happiness. 
It's beyond anything that you and I could ever, ever imagine. So what we do with the Word of God will always determine what the Word of God does in our lives. We need to hear with our ears and hear with our hearts. Well, God's work is at work in our lives. Verse 14 and 15, we'll be pulling from there. In fact, verse 14 says this, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as did the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets, and drove us out. And they are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. Now I just want to comment uh, separate from the, the text and everything. And, and when it says, even as the Jews did, and, and I'll talk about that more, he is not talking about all Jews. There's always a minority, a small group that makes problems for everyone else. Not all the Jews were against. In fact, in that early church, uh, the first 30 years primarily were all Jewish Christians. And who was Saul? He was a Jew. And the disciples were Jews. And the gospel is for the Jews and the Gentiles, and to the Jew first, and to the Gentiles. And we need to remember that in missions. And anyone that is against the gospel is hostile to God. Hostile to a, a Christian. They try to suppress that truth. Romans chapter 1, you can look at it later. But it's so important. They have to suppress the truth. And the devil will try and put things in your mind if you do not know the Word of God and twist the Word of God. Well, Paul's pointing out, though, in this text, the Thessalonians, they heard with their ears and their hearts, assimilating that Word into their life. And what do they do? <laughs> they had a willingness to suffer for Christ. It's the clearest evidence that they believed in the Word of God, and the Word of God was working in their life. Now, some think that you need to know the whole Bible, and I think it's great if you can know the whole Bible. I don't know of anyone that knows the whole Bible completely and knows every part and is, is just for sure on it. It doesn't take much to become a Christian. It's just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing what He has done for you. And by believing in His name and trusting Him, you have eternal life. And there have been some that have been given that gift of faith that immediately lay down their lives for Christ and never read the Bible. There have been Muslims in countries where they didn't even have Bibles, where an angel came to them and spoke to them, revealing who Jesus Christ is. And for years they trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one day, five, six, seven years later, they get a Bible and they see it as the precious Word of God. And they have faith that is so big, so when they begin to read the Bible, they take it exactly as the Word of God. And God works in all of us in different places, in different ways, in different backgrounds. Well, this is a sure way of knowing a person is a believer when he's willing to suffer for Christ. Maybe in your own life you've gone through experience the trials have, have come to you. Anyone experienced trial? <laughs> yeah, all of us. I remember there was a very harsh time. It was like just one thing after another that was just, just being poured on me. And, and you know, it's like, oh, 
oh, oh. But as I got through it about three months later, something hit me. My faith was real. I knew God was real, but my faith was real, and it was my faith that kept me through those circumstances, and he will keep you through. That's what our faith does. It, it, it keeps us through those times. He strengthens us. He empowers us. He gives us eyes to see and know his heart. Well, again, what you do with this word of God is very important. What you believe about it and what you do with it, they go together. You can't separate them. Well, today, many preachers preach a, a prosperity gospel. God wants you to be rich. And I'm going to say, yes, God wants you to be rich, but only spiritually. God may provide a lot of money to some, and they have that gift of, of giving. But what God wants you to be is rich spiritually in your relationship above everything else. If that money would get in the way of you having a relationship with you, guess what? You don't get it. And I say, praise God. Because God knows exactly what you need. God's not going to give you anything that's going to stumble you because he loves you with an everlasting love. Well, again, these preachers, they preach the absence of suffering, the absence of problems and disappointments and failures. Well, that, that means you've, you've got good faith. Their idea of faith is faith in faith. Our faith is faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and what he's going to do in you when you surrender your life to him. He is the great healer, and the first healing that you and I need is a spiritual healing. Would you agree? I need to be for myself. But the New Testament is very clear. The, the, the greatest evidence of a person's salvation is their willingness and faithfulness to go through whatever suffering, whatever problems, whatever disappointments, whatever failures. In fact, in Romans, I'm just going to read it. It's not on the screen. It's the ESV. It says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Let me read that again. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Patience doesn't come easy, does it? Yeah. We all struggle with that, that idea of patience and be constant in prayer. As I'm constant in prayer, I learn to be patient. As I'm in prayer, I'm looking at Jesus Christ. I'm looking at the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, what he's did yesterday and what he's going to do tomorrow. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3.12, look with me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted in some, in some way. Now, I'm not talking about driving down the street with a fish on the back of your car and people laughing at you. But I mean, maybe you may not get a promotion. Maybe you may be the person in the neighborhood that nobody likes because they don't want to hear the gospel because you don't get drunk or drugs or whatever it be. Your friends no longer want to speak to you. I remember my pastor when I first got saved. He was telling the story. He was a long, I mean long hair surfer at that time. 
VW bus, typical surfer of those time in the 60s, late 60s, got saved. Every one of his friends left. But one by one, through the years, they started getting saved. Because they saw that he continued in that word. And he believed that in time that God would save them. He was looking to God, not himself, to save them. Again, James 1.12 says this, Blesses a man who perseveres under trials, for once he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, happy is a man who perseveres through a trial. Happy knowing that your faith is real and, and God's going to reward you. And why we don't do it for rewards, we want to get through the trial. Sometimes we just want to get through the trial. You know what I mean? My, my prayer is usually this. It's repetitious. Lord, let me learn the lesson well. I don't want to come back here again. Yeah, just let me learn it. I, I'm, I'm sick of this. And that's really what he wants to do is that you learn to trust in him. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. He'll make your way straight. Now, the Word of God never promises, think about this, to isolate us from suffering. And yet many people teach that. But what it does is insulate you from suffering. That means in the midst of suffering, you can find hope, you can find comfort in Him. And it's in the Word. Because this Word, is as you're, you're listening to it with your ears and, and reading with your heart, it becomes flesh in you. I shared the story of uh, some newly disciples down in Papua New Guinea many, many years ago. And they had heard the gospel very slowly. It took three or four months to share the gospel in their own language. And as they got to a point, they, they all gave their life to the Lord. And what happened next was that he was teaching them through the book of Acts. And just picture four pillars here, and they were standing out here and and all of a sudden, there was this earthquake, and this whole roof was about to come in. And he runs out. That's the leader. That's the discipler. He runs out from this little shack, and all the people are just standing there smiling with these big smiles on their face, saying, hey, God's just telling us like the, like the book was saying. They had an earthquake there. He's showing it was just like this. Simple faith. They believed God was speaking to them. And then the teacher came back and he felt like a fool. I believe that each one of us can hear God speak and know that when you're in a certain place, things are, are surrounding us. Or maybe you're in prayer and you're praying about something and someone comes up and tells you exactly what you've been praying about or you are reading your word and it's exactly what you needed to hear and he knows how to encourage you and me. So the ability to endure in the, in the midst of suffering is, is proof of really discipleship. And I've seen that in lives time and time and time again. People may have a hard time getting to church because of physical things, but their faith does not waver. We must appropriate this Word of God into our lives. This is the only way that you and I will ever change is appropriate. Well, it raises the question, how can I understand this Word of God? 
The scripture is very clear. Unless a person is born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. When you're born again, the spirit of God comes in your life and, and he gives you an understanding of that word. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to read this all at once and everything is going to come together. But we're going to talk about that, that you need to marinate your mind with the word of God. You need to pickle your mind with the word of God. You need to spend time with the word of God. So if you want to understand it and appropriate it into your lives, understand that he will energize you. He will insulate you in the midst of this suffering. But there's some things that you need to do. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. So faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You want to increase your faith. You need to hear the word of God. It's not hyping yourself up. It's not reading a commentary. It's, notice again on the screen, it says, so faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of God. Now, this is saving faith, but also to continue to grow in that faith, knowing who Jesus Christ is. This is where the change comes, is knowing Him. This is what eternal life is all about, is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. If you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, you have not been born again. That's what the scripture says. And all we need to do is stop. You could stop right here today in your own mind and say, Lord, I do not know you, but I know you died for me on the cross. I know that you made a way. I know that you wish I don't perish. I am a sinner. I'm separated. So Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Please save me. Make me the man you'd have me be or the woman you'd have me be. And you know, instantly you're saved. If you pray that with a sincere heart, you don't need to come forward, but that's a move that if if you have made that profession at some point, you want to share with others that you have now trusted in Jesus Christ and your life will be changed. Well, how can I hear the word of God? Well, number one, public worship, like what we're doing, congregationally. Where the Word of God is being taught, that's important. The Word of God, as it's intended to be, the reading of the Word of God, that involves sometimes, for some, it's listening to teaching either on the radio, so much a day, but it also involves a personal study. A personal study. That means you have to not just read the word, but study that word. And that's important, and that's what we don't really understand so often. Again, Revelation 2, 7 says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give, I will grant to eat at the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. you got to listen. You've got to say, God, I'm not sure this is of you. You have to discern the voices. Sometimes when I'm, you know, and, and we get a lot of noise going around, I can't separate sounds. I don't know if anybody has that same problem. If there's too much noise at once, I may not hear someone's voice. I may not hear all the words or a certain frequency. If it's one-to-one, it's, it's, it's better. Well, like that in spiritual sense, there are a lot of voices in this world. There's a lot of noise in this world. And we need to learn to be still, quiet, know that he's God and sit with them. There's some great wisdom in a children's song. Anyone like children's songs? I do. 
And maybe you remember it. The, the title of it is, Oh, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See. It goes on, and Be Careful Little Ears What You Hear. And be Careful Little Tongue What You Speak. Be Careful Little Hands What You Do. Be Careful Where uh, Your Feet Take You. You know, we have to make a conscious choice to say, God, I want to hear you. I need to listen to you. I need to be careful. I need to begin to discern some of the, the different teachers because there's a lot of false teachers out there. They talk about the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. They don't explain the Bible. What you and I need is the Word of God, the pure Word of God. And there's no substitute for it. John 10, 27, you know the passage probably well. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, this is how you're going to know whether you really hear him, is you, you hear his voice, but you'll follow him. And how do you know which way he's going unless you read the word of God and know what's pleasing to him? So we learn to follow him. We learn what's pleasing, what's honoring to him. We don't go the places that he would never go. We don't do the things that he wouldn't do. Well, as I mentioned already, the, the next thing I want to go to is really that, that thought of study the Word of God. See, that's work. In fact, there was a pastor many years ago in the 1800s, and he wanted to remind himself it was work to study the Word of God. And it is work to study the Word of God. And it's much easier today with the digital things we have. But he wanted to remind himself. So what did he do? He got the most uncomfortable work boots he could, put him on every day and went into his, in his office and he sat there with these work boots. This is work. It's not playtime. Prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man is work. Again, in Acts 17, 11, I mentioned earlier about the Bereans. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness eagerness and examining scriptures daily to see whether the things were so or true that means when you go home you look in the bible or you're here you look in the bible you you read the scriptures is this really what it's saying god's giving you a mind to reason and know examine it see if it's so just don't believe it because someone says it that could be the blind following the blind. Studying the Word means spending enough time in the Word that you understand it. it. It means meditating upon it. It means when you read a small amount of Scripture every day, I don't encourage people to read five chapters, ten chapters. I've heard people say, you've got to read five chapters or ten chapters a day. I go, read with the intent to hear God. Read with the intent to hear God. And then think about it. What is he saying? What did it mean to the people that he's speaking to? When I understand that, and it's historical, grammatical, and a good study Bible will help you understand that, then you can apply it to yourself. It means we spend a lot of time pickling our minds with the Word of God. It means I pull out my phone and when I'm waiting somewhere and I just keep looking and reading, reading again and again and again, and, and eventually I see something that stands out to me, jumps out to me, 
It speaks to my heart. Deuteronomy 11:18. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and upon your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals of your forehead. See, they didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have iPads or phones or, or Bibles. They, they needed to, to write it. They, they needed to, to, to memorize it in such a way to remind them. Some people do it today and they have Scripture on their walls in different places or flashing up on their computer screens. But this is to remind them here again, it needs to be impressed upon our heart. It needs to, to become a part of us and the soul. And bind them on your hands. Now, they took it in a literal way, but it meant that that our hands need to be careful what they do, like that little song I was talking about. The children's song. The feet where they go. It means take time with the Word. When you read in the morning, you read in the evening, you, you just keep thinking about that. You write down a thought on it, and maybe you write it down and you remind it. Some people have gone and, and they write it many, many times and try and memorize it. Uh, when I was at a church on the mainland, and I heard this guy, he says, you know, he was thanking the pastor for encouraging him. And he says, you know, I've now remembered Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter 8 completely. He could quote them. But not only could he quote them, he knew what they meant. And this man travels back and forth between, and I love this one, to Israel and West Bank three times a year. And I looked down at his Bible, and his, it was Arabic on his Bible. And he has a business that he goes back and forth, and he's going and he's sharing with people. A missionary, but not a missionary. Just as you and I are missionaries today. If we're not a missionary, we're the mission field. We need to hear the Word of God. The psalmist wrote in uh, Psalm 119.11, Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And what he's saying is he, he was struggling with something in particular. He doesn't tell us what it is, but man, he has taken that. If, it, if it's about alcohol, if it's about drugs, if it's about morality, he hides that in his heart so he won't sin against God. And that's so important. See, there's the counseling. You don't need worldly counseling. You need biblical counseling, the, the Word of God. Again, it tells us what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. See, the psalmist went beyond just hearing the word and studying the word. He planted it into his heart. And that's what we need to do is plant it deeply in you. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think persecution will full on blowing persecution will come to this country before I'm out of here. But, but if it did, if you don't have this word of God hidden in your heart, how are you going to stand in the face of the persecution? It's going to be much harder. We need to hide this word in our heart. And then the Holy Spirit can, can work with you. I like Charles Spurgeon wrote a lot of books. He was a pastor to pastors. And this is what he encouraged pastors to do is soak yourself in the text. Soak yourself. Just, you know, again, as I use that term, marinate your mind. What he's talking about here is, is really giving himself really a sermon bath. He just, just keep washing yourself with the water of the Word. And the image of soaking is, is, is submerged in it. 
pickled in it. When you do that, it becomes a part of you. It changes you. It washes you. It washes over our dirty bodies, our dirty minds. It cleanses us. And it changes us and transforms us. See, by meditating on a verse, one of the ways you can do it is, is just praying verses. Some people like to pray these verses. They'll read it and they'll turn it into prayers. As I mentioned that, that song this morning, Jesus, Lord, Him, that is a prayer. These words that we sing, these should be prayers. Now, some people will sing very loud. It can be a prayer. Some sing very softly. It's a prayer. And with different worship leaders, it's going to be expressed differently because they have different personalities. But the key is spirit and truth, that our spirits connect with God and they become prayers, not just words on a screen, not words we just sing, but we sing from the depth of our heart. Well, meditating again on a verse, it could be praying through a text. It's repeating that passage again and again, writing it, as I mentioned, reading the word is, is done quickly. But see, we need to do more than just read it quickly. Study requires a little more time. The idea of planting, I mentioned, is a lifetime. A lifetime. Because there's so much in here. And as you begin to plant in your life, it will begin to bloom. You know, have more seeds and it'll produce more. Well, this planning, it, it involves really deprogramming from the thinking of this world and reprogramming with the very Word of God. And as I mentioned earlier, it cleanses you and washes you with the water of the Word. Well, they became imitators in a very short time. They, they immediately jumped in and hung on to that Word of God. It was the Word of God, not the Word of men. They believed it and they trusted it and God gave them faith. They were going through the persecution because they knew it was all worth it. See, having that right attitude toward suffering is essential. It, when we look at them, you can see that they weren't self-centered, but they were Christ-centered. They were concentrating really on the kingdom of God. This life, whether you like it or not, is not about comfort. It's not about you. This life, James talks about it, is like a vapor in this life. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But eternity, you cannot imagine. This, this time, this, this little brief time between your birth and death is very brief. It's like vapor in light of eternity. This is preparation. How you... See the Word of God. How you understand the Word of God will determine how you are changed or not changed. It will determine your eternity, how you live. First Thessalonians 3, 3 says this, so that no one would be disturbed by afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined to this. Again, they were going through this persecution. They were destined. There are some in this world that are going through persecution that you and I may never go through. But I'm going to tell you, one of the things we need to do is be praying for them. But we should be grateful that we're not going through that. We should be saddened that they are, that the world is hardened to this gospel message. But there's another side to that. If persecution came to this country today, 
the churches, a large portion of the churches would empty. Because if those people have not come to know Jesus in a personal relationship, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it all that God has for them. If things don't change, we may experience persecution. There's already some mild forms for Christians in, in some places already. Notice what the, the Bible says again. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed, we could just insert the word happy are those persecuted. Because you know your faith is real. You know that this life is like a vapor, that when you go to heaven, there are great rewards for you if you've endured. No one likes persecution, but if you do, you will know your faith is real or it's not real. Again, Jesus says in Luke, if anyone desire to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow him. He doesn't say come to church, but that's what we do. We, we congregate together. Verse 15, endured, they endured the same sufferings at the hands of their own countrymen, as I mentioned, and they did from the Jews. They were not pleasing to God. See, they were suppressing, as I mentioned earlier, the truth. They were doing everything they could, this small group, this remnant, hindering the Gentiles from hearing the gospel. These were Judaizers. They were legalists. These were blind. And they were trying to deceive people. And sometimes in the church, the greatest persecution in the church comes from within the church, within the body of Christ. Because they don't want to hear the word of God. They want to prove the things that the world approves. Well, Psalm chapter 1, notice what it says, verses 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. When we choose to, to be in the Word, to, to be men and women of the Word of God, our life will prosper spiritually and sometimes physically too. But I want to contrast that now these are the children of light that continue in his word. And, and here's those that are walking in darkness. This is where my original thought, light and darkness, the contrast. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. It says, But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which was known about God was evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and the form of a corruptible man 
and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, you'll be in one camp or you'll be in the other. You'll either be a chill child of the light or the child of darkness. You'll either take the word and hide it in your heart that you do not sin against God, or you'll try and suppress the truth. But there's a day of judgment coming. A day when for the believer will be at the bema seat and taken to be with him. But there's a judgment for the unbeliever. Those that suppress the truth. It's the white throne judgment where in the end they will be thrown into the pit with Satan and his demons simply because they did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me please? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. We're thankful that the Word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we come to you, Jesus, and we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us at the cross. We thank you that you're coming again for those that call upon your name. And Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you, has not trusted in you, God, open their heart today. Open the eyes of their heart that they might see you and know you. So, Lord Jesus, we bless your name. It's in your name we pray. Jesus, amen.